In case you didn't hear that, children are dismissed to children's church. All right, man, I'm telling you, some of the songs we sing, all of the songs we sing are just so packed with doctrine and truth about our great God and our relationship with him. Uh, Man, my Jesus pure was crushed by God. By God in judgment just, the Father grieved yet turned his rod on Christ made sin for us. That's the gospel, my friends. Jesus, the Son of God, left his throne, his glory, his side-by-side oneness with his Father, came to this earth so that the Father would turn his wrath on him and away from us. There's a big theological word that we use for that. There goes the black screens, by the way. Um, We call it imputation. God put the sin of mankind on his son, our Savior. That's your sins and my sins. And he took the righteousness of Christ and he gave it to us. Man, what what, what a transaction took place there on the cross. We get to sing about it. And we get to let our lives be a reflection of that. Thank God for such great worship music that we have the opportunity to sing when we gather together as saints. Speaking of singing and gathering together, uh, we're going to do that tonight. We're going to gather with our brothers and sisters in Christ from all over the area. um, And we're going to sing praises to our great God. We're going to do that at First Baptist Church of Cincinnati. Uh, So we want to encourage you to join us there tonight at 6 p.m. We will not have an evening service here, uh, but we will gather with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we will worship and we will adore our great God together. So if you have the opportunity to join us, please take advantage of that. Um, It starts at 6, so we won't be there too late. Um, We'd love to have you come and be part of it. Last time we did it at Dresserville, we had a good representation from our church. We'd love to have the same or even more this time around. All right, let's take our Bibles and jump into God's Word together. Meet me at Ephesians chapter 6, if you would, in your copy of the Scriptures. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we are going to pick up our study in this amazing book. We're almost done with this book that reminds us that Jesus Christ is the head of his church. We are the body of Christ, you and I, here at Calvary Baptist Church and all of our brothers and sisters in Christ who have ever lived from the day of Pentecost when the church started to the rapture of the church that meet and gather in local churches around the world from that time to now. We're all related. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have the opportunity to represent Christ in the world where he has placed us. And sometimes as we represent Christ in the world, it's a difficult place to be. Sometimes we find ourselves in what we call a battle. My friends, the Christian life is a battle. We're waging war. War is being waged against us. Many of us in our lifetime have 
understood and known what it means to be at war as one country against another. We are still at war as a country. We're fighting against, again, this ongoing thing of terrorism. Uh, it, it, it rears its ugly head all the time. There's war in Ukraine. There's war in other places around the world. And we just seem like we're always on the brink of war. Can I remind you that that's just the same in the Christian life? Satan is ready to pounce. Satan wants to take us out of uh, the battle. He wants to injure us. He wants to wound us. He wants to make us ineffective in the battle that we are in. He wants to make us ineffective for the cause of Jesus Christ. We were reminded two weeks ago, last week we had the privilege of having our ministry partners with us, um, and we continue to pray for them as they determine God's will for them over the next uh, several months, but we're thankful for their faithfulness. We know that they will continue to be faithful as they go out serving God wherever it is he places them, but uh, this Two, two weeks ago, we were reminded by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, the first several, or Ephesians chapter 6, the first several verses, that as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as part of the body of Christ, we are under attack by the wicked one. And we were reminded by the Apostle Paul that our enemy, Satan, is a formidable foe. He's not somebody that we should take lightly. He's not somebody that we should attempt to face in our own strength. But we were reminded as Christians that when it comes to our battle against Satan, we are to do two things. I won't ask you what they were because it was two weeks ago. But let me remind you what it was that Paul told us in the first 13 chapters of the book. He says to us that we are to resist the devil. You and I, we're to resist the devil. What does it mean to resist? It means to stand against. It means to be in opposition to. So you and I are to resist the devil. In verse 13, the word withstand him, withstand the evil one, um, it means to resist. And we are to stand in the battle. That's the second thing that Paul told us to do. Stand in the battle. The word stand is a military term. It's a term that means to not give up ground or to hold your position. Refuse to give in to the enemy. And you know what that means, right? That means we have to face the enemy. Standing does not mean turning and running. You can't defend your position if you're going the other way. If you're, if you're, even if you're backpedaling, you can't defend your position. So, so Paul says, Stand against the enemy. Face him face to face. Understand that he is a defeated foe. He's not going to give up even though he's defeated. But he is a defeated foe, so we need to stand against him. We need to understand Satan's deceitful tactics. And we should never think that, you, that, that as an individual, I should never think, let me make it personal, I should never think that I can stand against the deceitful attacks of Satan in my own strength. And that's not just because I feel like I'm not as strong as I used to be 10 years ago or 20 years ago. We were doing some stuff here Friday night, uh, the leadership team cleaning some things up and cleaning some things out. Not too long ago, I would have jumped up on the things and climbed up to the top so things could be handled. I said, I'm not doing that tonight. I'm just not going to, I, I probably could, but I'm not going to. Because we got 
much younger gentlemen who are able to do those things. It's part, of, it's part of getting old. You should be getting wiser. So instead of climbing up on these things, these shelves that are built sturdy, thanks to Doug, um, that are got like a four-foot gap in between them, uh-uh. I'm not doing it unless I have to. You see, I need to get smart in my old age. We need to get smarter with each passing day as a child of God. We need to understand, hey, I can't do this in my own strength. I need God's strength, and he provides that for me with the armor that he has given to me. Stand against the evil one. Don't stand in your own strength. Don't stand in your own wisdom. Don't stand in your own abilities. Stand in what God has done for you. The very reason we can stand is because of what Christ accomplished on the cross of Calvary. The finished work. And aren't you glad that God didn't say, now that I saved you, you get to do all the rest all on your own. No. Now that I've saved you, I've equipped you. And this morning we're going to look at some of the equipping that God has given to us so that we can indeed stand against the wicked one. I mentioned to you the last time we were together that we would take a more comprehensive look at the armor that God has made available to us. Now, we're not going to cover it all because we don't have time to do that. So we're going to take a look at some of the armor of God. Um, Paul said to us in the first couple verses of chapter 6, take up the, how did he use that? What word did he use? The whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand or resist the devil, stand firm against him. In verses 10 through 13, Paul talks about the whole armor, or we could call it, here's a, here's a word that you probably maybe have never heard of before, the panoply of God. It's, we're all decked out in the armor of God so we can stand against the wicked one. I want you to put your mind into the mind of the Apostle Paul this morning, if you will. Paul is writing from prison, right? Ephesians is one of the prison epistles. Most likely, the Apostle Paul was, if not strapped to a Roman guard, he was constantly being watched over by a Roman guard. So, Paul didn't have to look far to see what armor looked like. And I'm thinking that the Holy Spirit used that Roman guard that Paul was attached to to remind him of the complete and and absolute total coverage that the child of God has as he stands against the wicked one. So Paul is drawing, I think, from the picture of this Roman guard as he talks about the the, the, the soldier of Christ standing in the battle. Paul saw before him the whole armor, including the shield, including a sword, a lance, a helmet, greaves, if you will, that protected the legs, and a breastplate. This morning we're going to look at four things that we are to take up, that we are to put on as we prepare to do battle with Satan. Let's stand together and read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. We'll wait just a second. There we go. This wasn't planned, by the way, okay? 
Um, so let's read together. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's ask God to bless our time together this morning in the Word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We are so thankful for uh, what we're going to be reminded of, maybe even learn some new things about this morning with regard to the armor that you have equipped us with. Father, we know that we're in a battle. We know that we're fighting against the wicked one. We were reminded by the Apostle Paul that our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's not against principalities or powers, but it's against Satan himself. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to realize the seriousness of the battle that we are in and the significance of the enemy and the way he attacks And Father, we ask that you will help us to use this armor that you have given to us, that you have blessed us with as we fight against the wicked one. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So you'll see here that there's only one Roman numeral one on your page. There's not a Roman numeral two to follow that. That'll come next week, all right? We're seeing this morning that we need to be standing with the armor, Standing again, Paul says, stand having done, or Jude says, stand having done all to stand. Paul says, stand and and withstand. We are face to face with the enemy. We must stand. It's the same word that he's used twice already, and it makes this makes it the third time he tells the Ephesian believers to stand. Now, you know what studies have recently shown us? I, I tend to sit a lot because I'm studying, I'm doing stuff on my computer, I'm reading on my computer, and now I'm driving bus. What do I do when I drive bus? I sit, okay? So every, every once an hour, I get a reminder on my watch to do something. Stand. Get up. You see, sitting all the time is not good for your health. That's what studies are showing people now. If you have a desk job, You need to get up once an hour, walk around your desk, do something that causes the blood to start flowing through your body more vigorously than if you just sit all the time, okay? That's a good thing. Paul says, stand against the evil one. We need to stand in our armor. We need to stand taking a a position that we know is what God would have us to take. By now, we we see that standing as the children of God means that we are ready to take action. If you're sitting down, (laughs) that's another thing, the older you get, the harder it is to do, is to get up, right? When you're sitting, it takes some energy, it takes some effort, it takes some work. Sometimes it even takes some help for you to stand up. But if you're standing, you're ready to go. You're ready to take on whatever comes your way. So we're standing as children of God, and we're standing against Satan. We're standing against the wicked one. And Paul's going to give us some things that we need to do to make us stand against the evil one. 
Um, go ahead, put up that picture if you would, uh, Levi, for us. You'll see this is the armor that Paul is talking about. There, you see as this guy is standing, getting ready to go into battle, there is nothing that is exposed to the enemy. It's all covered. And as an extra measure of protection, he has this shield that he can use to guard himself. Paul wants us to understand that if we're going to stand against the evil one, we have to face him. Now, we don't have a reverse picture of this, but you know what would happen if we could turn this picture around? You know what's exposed on the soldier? Everything. Everything. God did not equip us to run away from Satan. God did not equip us to turn our backs on him. We have to stand against the evil one. And when we are standing face to face with the enemy, God has equipped us to be safe, to be able to do battle. The first thing that Paul says we're to do is he says, having girded your waist with truth. Girding your waist with truth. Okay? Here's the thing about God's truth. God's truth is is very evident. The, the greatest place we find the truth of God is right here in this book. That's why we need to read it every day. That's why we need to let it govern our lives. This book has everything we need to do to stand against the wicked one. Having your waist girded with truth. Paul's talking about the belt of truth. It was, it was more like a tunic that was tucked in and perhaps held the sheath for the, sh- for the sword. Ooh, sheath for the sword. Okay, get that one down. Uh, it, it's this thing that you put on and you put your sword in it so your sword is easily ac- accessible. It's ready to be grabbed so that when you go into combat, you're not going, oh, where's my sword? It's right there all the time, every time it's in the same place. The truth of God is available to us. It's, it's, we have access to it all the time. The belt mainly suspended the equipment that you needed to have at your hands all the time. The sword was there. The dagger was there. You know, sometimes when you're doing combat sword to sword and you're swinging your sword and you're going to town and, and the guy hits the sword with his sword, what happens to the sword? Poof. It's gone. Uh-oh. Now what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to go grab my dagger. It's there. It's right there. You're not feeling it. You're not trying to find it. You're not looking for it. You're not saying, oh, no, what am I going to do next? It's there. The dagger is ready. So you got this sword on you. You got this, this belt of truth that is on you. You know what? There is nothing in the life of the child of God that happens that this book doesn't have an answer for. You remember what Paul tells Timothy, right? He said, uh, that the word of God, it is profitable for what? For correction, for instruction, for reproof, for all of those things that we face in life that we need to have. The word of God is there that the man of God might be what? Thoroughly equipped, wholly furnished. You and I, with the word of God, can be completely, absolutely equipped for everything that God sends our way. But it's got to be accessible to us. 
we got to put on that piece of armor every day. It's the first piece of armor that was put on because some of the rest of the armor is dependent on that belt of truth. I told you a couple weeks ago when I played hockey that we used to wear a belt. And on that belt, we hooked other things to it. Held our socks up, held our knee pads in place. It was called day. ladies, you'll be, well, maybe not today. Uh, older ladies might understand what a garter belt is, right? Yeah, I know what it is because I played hockey. It held up your socks. I'll let you ladies figure out what it held up for ladies in the olden days. All right? But it was something that you put on first because if you didn't put it on, you couldn't put everything else on that you needed to put on. Put on the belt of truth. Now let's talk about this idea of truth for a moment. There's two parts to this piece of defense that Paul has given us. Truth basically refers to the content of that which is true. Right? Makes sense. Um, The content of God's truth is absolutely essential for the believer in his battle against the schemes of Satan. What's the best way to combat deceitfulness? With truth. Remember what Sergeant Joe Friday used to say? Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Give me the truth. That's all I want. That's all I need. God has given us truth so we can stand against the schemes of Satan. You see, without biblical teaching, without the truth of the Word of God, without somebody standing up behind this pulpit every Sunday expounding for you the Word of God, the truth... You're going to be weak in your battle. That's why when you, when you come here to Calvary Baptist Church and other churches that are like us, of like faith, when people stand up behind the pulpit, they stand up and they expound the truth. They don't give you their opinion. They don't give you what they think. They give you what the Word of God says. We've said this many times. The word preaching, uh, when you want to become a preacher, you take a class called homiletics which means to say the same thing. Every preacher of the word of God, every preacher who wants to fulfill his calling in God, of God in his life will stand up and tell you what the Bible says. He will say the same thing that is in the pages of the book. If a, if a preacher doesn't open the Bible on a Sunday morning, shame on him. And shame on you for letting that go on. If you find yourselves, and obviously that's not the case here, but if you find yourselves in a place or you have somebody asking you for a, I need to go to church, I want to go start going to church, where should I go? You go to a church that preaches God's word, opens up God's word, and expositorily preaches to you every Sunday or most Sundays. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a place for topical messages, But the best kind of preaching for the preacher and for the congregation is expository preaching. Because you open up God's word and you move systematically through a passage of scripture. I love expository preaching. Because when we get to the difficult texts and the things that nitpick into people's lives, people can't come to the pastor and say, yeah, you picking on me. Not not me. God's word. It's God's word. I'm preaching through the text. Not, you know, so, so we, not, we, we need the truth. We have to have the truth. It's our greatest source of protection. What does the truth protect us from? Well, 
Paul says without, he says it protects us from being tossed about by every wind of doctrine in the book of James chapter 4. In the trickery of Satan. In the trickery of men. What a great privilege it is to know that when we open up God's word, there is nothing that is going to deceive the child of God in the pages of scripture. It's truth. All of it. Truth also represents an attitude. So first of all, it represents the content of God's word. It also represents an attitude. The Christian is to gird himself with an attitude of total truthfulness. When a person is guarded in truth, they have the attitude of readiness and genuine commitment. The truth, if we're committed to the truth, we're committed to doing what is right. It's the mark of the sincere believer who forsakes hypocrisy and compromise. Remember what the writer of Hebrews said, Let us therefore lay aside every weight that so easily besets us. If we're girded in the truth, if we've got ourselves wrapped in the truth, those things that Satan tries to use to knock us off course aren't going to work. Every encumbrance that might hinder the work of the child of the, of, of the Lord's is offset by the truth that this child of God, this soldier, is and bathed in. Tuck yourselves into the belt of truthfulness and make everything else fade away. Not only do we want to make sure that we're, our waist is girded with, with truth, but we want, we want to be wrapped Go ahead and put that that picture up. We missed that one, Levi. This is the belt of truth. We can stand firm because this belt is wrapped around. This belt went right like this. You don't have to use your imagination as to what is protecting, right? All your vital organs and some other things that if you get hit there, you're going to be taken out of the battle. The belt of truth is our protection against being taken out of the battle. He goes on and he says, you need to be wrapped in the breastplate of righteousness, wrapped in the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness. Now, when you think of something that is wrapped, what do you do? Let's, let's think about the thing everybody likes to get, right? Everybody likes to get presents, right? And usually presents are wrapped up in paper. Why do you wrap your presents in paper? So it'll be a surprise. So what did you say, Cindy? So they look good. Yeah, but what's the main reason for wrapping something up? So people can't see what's inside of it. We, it's completely covered up. That's the idea of wrapping yourself in the breastplate of righteousness. Not to hide things, but so that all the, all the vital organs are protected. Paul's looking at this soldier and he's saying, hmm. That if that guy gets hit with a sword there, or gets hit with a, with a baton there, or gets, nothing's getting through that. You have to understand this breastplate was made of metal, and it was overlapped. It was weaved together. There was, he had a coat of mail on first, that if it got underneath one of the pieces of the, the metal, that, 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 that sheave, that mail protected it. But you know, all of the stuff was like fish scales, if you will. You ever gone fishing and had to clean your fish? You move one fish scale or as you're cutting through, you see the scales that kind of go up and down and move all over. That fish is completely covered in the fish scales. That's his protection. 
The child of God, the, the warrior in battle for, for God, is completely protected by the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness. It's it all kind of just one layer over another, over another, over another, over another to protect him. What is it that's protecting us? Righteousness. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But we're wrapped up, we're completely covered. We are protected by the breastplate of righteousness. This breastplate is an absolutely essential piece of armor. It was tough, it was sleeveless, so that when you're in the battle, it doesn't encumber you, it doesn't slow you down, it, it doesn't protect your arms, it just protects the torso, uh, the chest and the torso and all the spots that need to be protected. Uh, behind all of the organs, the internal organs, that if you get hit in one of those eternal organ, internal organs, you're done, you're out of the battle. So this breastplate covers the soldier's full torso made of leather or heavy linen with overlapping slices of this, either animal hooves or metal or hardened wood that was going to withstand the, the jabs and the, and, the, and the enemy trying to pierce through your, bat, your, your armor. You were protected. The purpose of the piece of armor, that piece of armor is obvious, right? I mean, you're not, you're not going to go, unless you're David going against Goliath, you're not going to go into battle without this kind of armor. It was to protect the heart, the lungs, the intestines, all your other vital organs. Now, this breastplate protected the vital organs of the, sol- of the soldier. I want to let you know that the breastplate of righteousness protects the, the child of God. It's just as vital for you and I to have the breastplate of righteousness as it was for the Roman soldier to have his breastplate of mail over top of him. In order to live a spiritually healthy life, the child of God must be living an obedient life before God. Let's talk about this idea of righteousness for a minute. When we talk about this breastplate of righteousness. What is Paul really telling us to protect ourselves with? There's, there's different kinds of righteousness. So let's talk about the different kinds of righteousness first. First of all, there is, and if I say, when I say this word, you should get some red lights going on, okay? I'll tell you that ahead of time. First of all, there is self-righteousness. Where, where does that come from? Pride. It's not a hard question, right? It comes from self. Yeah, we, we think we've got it all figured out. Ah, I, I, I know what I'm doing. So this idea of self-righteousness, it's not something that God has given to us. I discovered this, I figured this out. Look at this, this is, this is what it's all about. Paul's not talking about self-righteousness. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness is something that God gives to us. We cannot put on something that God has already clothed us in. So let me back up. He's not talking about the imputed righteousness. We'll get to the third kind that he's talking about. Okay, There's self-righteousness. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about imputed righteousness because you know what? You got all of that the day you got saved. It's kind of like the Holy Spirit. So when, when I stand, when God looks at me, he looks at me through who? Through Jesus, and when he sees me, he sees the righteousness of Christ in me. Amen. Amen. That's imputed righteousness. That's not what he's talking about here. 
The third type of righteousness is practical righteousness. Pastor, what is that? Well, that's the day-to-day living the way Christ would have us live. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3, if you would, please. Philippians, just a couple pages later, because we're at the end of Ephesians. So in in Philippians chapter 3, you find this, starting in verse 9. Paul writes this, And being found in him, who's the him? Jesus. And being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is what? Self-righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith, that's imputed righteousness, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but, what does he say? I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. That's practical righteousness. Jesus Christ laid hold of me to do what? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, those good works which he prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. Paul says this about his practical righteousness in verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which